Hello and welcome to Stumbling Through Scripture. I'm Archie. And I'm Becca. And it's great to have you listening with us. Uh, thanks for joining us. If this is your first time, hello. Stumbling Through Scripture is we're trying to be commentational, trying to blend biblical commentary with devotional content. Isn't that right? Apparently, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it follows on from the Stumbling Through Scripture blog, um, which I write on www.stumblingthroughscripture.co.uk or you can find it on Instagram at stumblingthroughscripture. This week is kind of an end of an era podcast, I say, having only done about five podcasts, I think. <laughs> Two. Two. This is your third. <laughs> Three. Three. Well, it's the end of an era because you're no longer going to be a Bible nerd living in London. No. No longer will you hear my dulcet tones, my smooth velvet chocolatey voice saying, hello and welcome. Did you just describe your voice as chocolatey? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because no longer will we be Bible nerds living in London. We will be Bible nerds living in Edinburgh, which doesn't have the same ring to it. Your voice is like the Tesco's own brand of chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Still, velvety smooth. I buy it. I love chocolate. Well, anyway, no more living in London. So what are we looking at in today's show? So today we're going to be looking at the story of Tamar, who is a pretty cool lady, in my opinion. Yeah, incredibly cool lady. She is the first woman listed in the genealogy of Jesus, which That's is pretty true. cool. Because, as we all know, the genealogy usually follows the male line, so... To have a woman listed in a genealogy, particularly in Jesus's genealogy, is pretty great. So we're just going to be talking about her, kind of the life of a widow in ancient Israel, the kind of laws surrounding marriage. and. Yeah, we're just going to be exploring the story um, because it's a really interesting story. It's a really fascinating story because the truth is that without Tamar, there would be no line of Judah that leads up to Jesus. It's all like down to Tamar that Judah's family kind of continues. And because Judah's family continues, that means that it eventually leads up to King David, firstly, Israel's first amazing king, and then secondly, King Jesus, the, like, second and ultimate Mm. amazing king. So, Archie, before we start the podcast, I think we have a little disclaimer that we need to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've read the story of Genesis 38, Uh, the story of Judah and Tamar, but it's pretty, I guess it's pretty graphic. Uh, Well, it's not, it can be graphic at times. It's not really graphic. Well, there is is a bit graphic with Onan, the second Mm. son. The point is we're going to be talking about a few maybe raunchy details. Well, we're not even going to talk about raunchy details. It's just an adult theme because if you don't know the story, then A, you're about to find out, or B, you can just go and read it for yourself in your Bible. But basically... That it just, there's some sex that happens. But, you know, it's, sex is a thing, it's in the Bible. Um, so, we should talk about it. Yeah. I always thought it was really interesting, a guy in my church said that if you skip over parts of the Bible that you find uncomfortable, does that count as taking away from scripture? And while I haven't looked into it properly, it did get me thinking that, there are bits that we maybe don't necessarily read or give enough credit to, and they're just as important as the rest of Scripture because they managed to make it into Scripture. So I guess without any further ado, let's move on. 
So if you're reading through Genesis from start to finish, one of the things that you'll notice when you get to the story of Joseph is that you have one chapter of the Joseph cycle, the story of Joseph, and then immediately it's just you're in with Judah and Tamar for just one chapter and then you're straight back to Joseph again. So kind of what's that all about? People have been like, well, why, why do you put this story of Judah and Tamar just so randomly in the middle of the story about Joseph? Like it cuts up the flow, doesn't it? Yeah, a little bit, and but but I guess I guess it shows that even while like all of this crazy stuff is happening to Joseph, like at the end of the day, like life is carrying on kind of normally for everyone else around. Like <laughs> I guess I guess yeah. if you can describe the yeah. story as normal, well, <laughs> yeah, um, life is carrying on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, life life is carrying on all around. Yeah, that's true. Like I mean, life is still going on, and. Uh, there, there isn't any way, really, there isn't anywhere else that you could really put this story. Because you have, in Genesis 37, you have Joseph, he dreams of his greatness, he has all the dreams with the, like, multicoloured coats and stuff like that as well. And then he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And then the next that we kind of hear of Joseph is, well, he's in Egypt. And so there wouldn't really be any other time to talk about like the rest of Joseph's brothers, so for example, Judah, who is one of Joseph's brothers, you couldn't put that before Joseph gets sold by his brothers into slavery because that just wouldn't work, like chronologically, that's just out of whack. Mm -hmm. But you also couldn't put it afterwards necessarily because if you put the story of Judah and Tamar after the whole story of Joseph, well, Judah eventually ends up as part of the end of the Joseph story. But you've got Judah, he's just been really evil. Um, his sons are evil as well, they're wicked. And then obviously what happens with Judah and Tamar, with the way that Judah sleeps with Tamar, and Tamar's Judah's daughter-in-law, so obviously that's just really bad. And he thinks that she's a prostitute, so that is not great. I and mean, one of the things that this just evilness of Judah, this kind of immorality that we see of Judah does, especially in Genesis 38, having Genesis 38 here, is it provides us with like a negative contrast to compare Joseph's behaviour with Potiphar's wife to in the proceed in the preceding chapter, Genesis thirty nine. Mm. I do, however, think that there are differences between Potiphar's wife and Tamar. For example, Potiphar's wife is obviously a woman of power, married to Potiphar, like the second in command, mm. um, and. She she never has to stoop to the level of pretending to be a prostitute in order to try and seduce Joseph, even though, obviously, Pot Potiphar's wife is unsuccessful, whereas Tamar is very successful in in um, seducing Judah. Um, but obviously, Potiphar's wife has, has authority because when she cries wolf that Joseph has tried to sleep with her, She's believed. Even though Joseph didn't. Even, even though, though Joseph she is the one didn't. That came yeah. him. Because even though she's a woman, mm. she has social standing. So not only do you have the contrast in the story between the moral integrity of Joseph in comparison to the immorality of Judah, but you also have the contrast in the women um, that they encounter. And while um, Potiphar's wife has status, she doesn't, in the end, get what she wants, 
Whereas I would mm. say that Tamar, while while she doesn't have social standing, she's a disgraced widow. Yeah. She got smarts. Yeah, she's got smarts. She's clever and cunning. So, I mean, we've got Genesis 38 here. It It's there just because it can't really be anywhere else in Genesis. It fits into the, the Joseph story to also provide a contrast between uh, Joseph's behaviour and Judah's behaviour. Um, but it also, it's just really important for showing the character development of Judah. I mean, the Joseph cycle but from Joseph, from Genesis 37 to Genesis mm. 50, it's all about Joseph. And it ev- like ev- eventually ends with the whole of kind of Israel's sons. So the 12 tribes of Israel being blessed. And Joseph's story is kind of there to kind of also tell, I guess, the beginnings of Israel. Mm. In a way, it explains how they end up in Egypt. And one of the components of that is the character development of Judah. Yeah, we see... this... Mm. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, carry on. I was just going to say, this section of the story, though, does it show a lot of character development? Because basically, in the beginning of the whole Joseph story, Judah's a nasty guy. Yeah. In this section, Genesis... 38 we see more of judah again a nasty guy and he's even nastier yeah so the character development is that he goes from a nasty man <laughs> to a really nasty man yeah I and mean, the the proper the positive character development doesn't start until afterwards and so after this point kind of with judah's exclamation in genesis 38 i think it's like 24 okay where so he's this... like you're more righteous than mm. i that's like the low point of Judah's life. But him, his recognising that he's been wrong and sinful is like kind of like, I guess, the turning point. And so we see later in the story that Judah learns to protect his family. He pleads for Benjamin's release um, later on in the story. And then he eventually ends up as being the one who's most blessed as the, the leading brother of the 12 tribes mm. of Israel. So, so they show this part of Judah's life in order to make his kind of redemption all that more impressive? Uh, I would say that that's probably more of a corollary effect. It's a side effect. The main part of showing this story of including Genesis 38 is that without Genesis 38, without Tamar's decisive and like audacious and tenacious actions, there would be no line of Judah. Judah would have no ancestors, and if Judah had no ancestors, then we wouldn't eventually end up with David and Jesus. That's Mm. the main point of the story. So what's the story about? Judah, he moves down, and he moves to a place um, near a certain Adullamite called Hira, and it's in kind of foreign land away from Israel. And Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite man called Bathsheba. Wait, no. Oh, obviously a very no, misgendered neutral name. And Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite and he married her. And he had three sons. So nothing to do with Bathsheba. <laughs> That's completely wrong. Okay. No, nothing to do with Bathsheba. I accidentally said Bathsheba by accident. Uh, she was actually called Bathshua, and some people think that her name was Bathshua, but Bathshua but, actually just means daughter of Shua. 
Okay, I was going to say, I was like, but earlier you said that she didn't have a name. Yeah, she doesn't have a name. Okay. She's just the daughter of Shua. And so Judah has three kids, and three kids equals three chances to expand his family line. His first son is called Ur, and he takes a wife for Ur, who is Tamar. Tamar. <laughs> Tamar, yeah. That's their ship name. Um... <laughs> but Tamer, they don't have any children because maybe you know Ur was infertile did they ever think of that um, they're very quick to blame the women but usually most infertility problems are found in men actually <laughs> it's true and Ur was well I don't know if they actually tried for a kid but Ur was the problem with why they couldn't have a kid because he was evil and he was wicked and God killed him so God gave him a vasectomy a whole body vasectomy. A whole yeah. body vasectomy, <laughs> which is death, kids. Yes. And so what happened then? So keeping your ancestral line going, like having offspring was really important because that was just the way that you gained a name for yourself, kept your name going and had reputation and, and honour, really. Mm. And so if your firstborn dies without having a kid, like that sucks because there's no one to kind of carry on your name, really. Mm. But luckily for Judah, he has two more chances, two more kids. So yeah, while it sucks true. that his firstborn is gone, all hope is not lost. Yeah. There was a thing called Leverite marriage, which is described in Deuteronomy 25, 5 okay. to 10, which is if the firstborn dies or if the man, if a man dies and if he, he's a married man and if the married man dies without having any children, mm. then that man's brothers can then kind of marry his wife and then do the deed for him with the wife. And then the child that's born from that union will then be kind of classed as the dead man's son. And so that dead man's kind of name and offspring get to continue. Massive thanks to all Catchpole, by the way, for doing the show music. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty good show music. Anyway, Judah kind of arranges that with Tamar and his second son, Onan. So this is one of Judah's first, one of the first bad things that Judah does. Because Judah should marry Tamar and Onan, or he should get them married. But instead, Judah just says to Onan, like, have a kid with Tamar. Mm, so there's no, there's nothing illegal about it. So although he's... no. He's kind of following Leverite law, marriage law. Mm. There's there's nothing really religious about it. Do you think it would just be more culturally that's what you're supposed to do rather than... Yeah, and I think it's just... It's just wicked from Judah, really. I don't. We don't really know why he doesn't marry mm. them, but it is bad. And one of the reasons why it's bad is because Tamar is obviously now a widow. Yeah. Um, and if you're a widow... Um, because of the way that it worked back then in, in that ancient culture, um, to be a widow basically just left you very socially and financially insecure because you didn't have a man to look after you. You were a widow, which meant that you were already married, and so you were of no value in terms of being able to be sold off for marriage or anything like that. Um, you just a bit... You couldn't really do that much. Mm -hmm. And so Judah 
doesn't marry Tamar to Onan, which leaves Tamar as a widow. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Onan is evil because he doesn't actually properly fully complete the act. Like, Tamar do, still doesn't have kids. Do we know kids. why? Just because he's, like, a mean man? Because I think it's because he knows that the kid that he has with Tamar won't be his own. It will be Ur's kid. Okay, he's but, like breeding for uh Yeah. And he doesn't want to do that. But right, okay, ancient Israel they have they have loads of wives. They have like loads of concubines, they have slave girls, everything like that. So what's not to say that he Onan has a kid with Tamar and marries again and then they will presumably be his kids. Yeah, yeah, they would. But it's through the line of inheritance and stuff like that. And so if uh, if Onan had a kid with Tamar for Ur, then the kid that they produced would be Ur's offspring. And because Ur was the firstborn, that would mean that that kid would then oh. kind of be... Because it was all handed so down through the first. So he's just a jealous brother, So he's just effect. He's a jealous brother, yeah. Wow. Okay. And he dies. God kills him. Well, that's what you get. Yeah, so <laughs> Judah, I guess now, like, if if you find a wife for one of your sons, mm. and you've got three sons... One of and our then, sons. Yeah, and then they both die because of being with this woman, mm. you wouldn't want to give her necessarily to your third son. A bit of a black widow. It's not, no, it's not Tamar's fault at all. Tamar's fine. In fact, Tamar's name is, it means date palm, and date palm is like a symbol for fruitfulness. I don't know what a date palm is. I assume it's some kind of food or a I tree or leaf or something. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume that dates grow on palm trees. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is a palm tree full of dates. And it symbolises fruitfulness. But so far, Tamar hasn't been fruitful. So what Judah does, he's kind of sneaky. He promises mm. Judah to his youngest son, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sheila as in, like, put some shrimp on the barbie, Sheila. But Sheila is in... Well, not that. <laughs> Sheila's a man. A boy, actually. He's too young to How be with Tamar. He? I don't know. Less than ten. Whoa. I mean, ten was when they kind of came of age, really, wasn't it? Like, ten yeah. to thirteen. Well, thirteen is when they have their bar mitzvahs. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty young. And Judas kind of sneaky. He deceives Tamar. He's like, I'll give you to my youngest son when he comes of age. But... Judah's like, he's not going to do it. He's not going to fulfil that promise. And so he sends Tamar home. And that's really evil. He shouldn't do that. Tamar's a part of his family and he should be caring for her. And he sends her away as a widow to yeah. force her family to care for her. Because presumably but, she would have also come with it to him with a dowry. Mm, yeah, I guess that so. That he's taken. Yeah. And I'm assuming that he's not sending her home with that dowry. I doubt it. And once Tamar's and family dowry, died... Yeah, none of that family has gone to her. No. For her own safety. No. And once the family die, they won't be able to care for Tamar. Well, Tamar exactly. won't be able to work. Yeah. So she's in a sticky situation, really. Mm. So, after a time, this nameless Canaanite woman, mm -hmm. who Judah was married to, dies. Yeah. Another side effect of his evil doings? Uh, <laughs> or probably just a circle of the, life in the text doesn't the say desert. probably just oh. a circle of life but Judah does he's very nice he does mourn for her which is 
which is nice. I mean, you're supposed to mourn for your dead wife. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's just ritual at this mm, point yeah, for Judah. Well, it could be love. He's an evil man, but he could have been in love. He could have been devastated that she died. But, I don't know, judging by the actions afterwards, possibly he, he wasn't. No. Because Judah, he goes up with Hera, his friend, um, for a sheep shearing festival. And the sheep shearing, well, it wasn't a festival, it was just Sounds sheep like shearing. Sounds like a festival we'd have in Norfolk. <laughs> yeah. And that was a time of kind of like joy and festivities. Anyway, Tamar sees that T Judah's youngest son, Sheila, is old enough to be given to her in marriage, but oh. he hasn't been. Yeah. So she comes up with a sneaky plan because Judah is frustrating her vocation in life. Mm. And that plan is? So she takes off her widow's garments and she puts on a veil. She wrapped herself up and she sat down at the side of the road and basically pretended to be a prostitute. Which I think is really interesting that she puts on a veil and she wraps herself up. Um, actually, that like that garment, that veil, like, that wasn't what like signified that she was kind of a prostitute, it was the making herself available at the roadside, which is what would have made you to think that she was a prostitute. But in all of the paintings, not all of the paintings, in lots of the paintings that you see, lots of the artwork of Judah and Tamar, Tamar is portrayed as some like voluptuous, seductive, mm. like mistress, basically. And that couldn't really be further from That's the truth. It's just a bad interpretation because it's, of the text. Yeah, it's Judah who comes onto her. She's wrapped up in all of her garments and veils and stuff like that. Very modest, actually. Mm. And also, Tamar's the one who's doing the right thing. Even though it's the wrong thing, Tamar ultimately is doing it for the right reasons, which is the correct the wrongs that Judah has inflicted on her. Mm. But when you think about it like that, like, that's so selfless from Tamar. It's so selfless and it's also so faithful that Judah and Judah's sons have wronged her in so many ways, mm. but she's still committed, she's still loyal to producing offspring for them and continuing their family yeah. line, I mean, which is amazing. Really. Imagine imagine how much like resentment Tamar must have for Judah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, like... probably a lot. But Tamar is sneaky. What she does is she agrees a payment with Judah which is a kid from his flock, but she decides to take a deposit first, which is really clever. Mm, so she a takes... A Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> yeah. She takes uh, Judah's signet, his cord, and his staff. What's his cord? His cord was what held his signet around his neck. And his signet, it was oh. like a small kind of like cylindrical tube, which had kind of like markings on it which mm. marked it out as Judas and so he would roll it onto the stuff yeah. and so then yeah that's, as that's so interesting things. yeah because that's like obviously that was that was also the Assyrian way of mm. having yeah, signets exactly. yeah, yeah. and a, then as a in, in the Greek world that's where they had the rings yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And that's, that's where it's from yeah it's really cool, just because, as a side note, later on in the world when it all began getting even more metropolitan than it was already, um, people from Greece would see, like, the cylindrical signet stamps and would be like, oh, that's so cool. I want one of those. I don't want, a, like, a lame ring. I want this mm. to be, like, 
my signature to show and it was like the first kind of like trade thing to be like hey look i've i've okay. been to um oh. assyria interesting and this is what i bought back i didn't know that that's pretty interesting. really cool really yeah. cool which yeah. is why it's so hard because it, it can be like okay so this guy had like a greek signet ring but it doesn't necessarily mean that he was from greece because he literally yeah. could have got it anywhere okay yeah side note over <laughs> okay so the the signet the cord and the staff they're all items of judah's identity they mark mm. who judah is basically and so then they go their separate ways yeah. and three months later tamar can't really hide her baby bump anymore and so mm. word reaches judah that tamar is pregnant and because yeah but who's who's spreading this this word i just the community word on the street yeah well she couldn't really hide it after three months? Well, I guess not. Um, sh surely it must be longer than that. Well, the text says three months. Oh, maybe she was oh, a, but a thin waist so girl. So, in those three months, Judah sends a servant to try and give the kid uh, the flock, not the kid, the kid of the flock, yeah. um, to Tamar. However, Judah's servant can't find Tamar because obviously she's gone because she wasn't actually a roadside prostitute and there never was one there and so Judah's like oh boy this is embarrassing just stop looking for her so that we don't arouse any suspicions because we don't want to be a laughing stock but then three months afterwards Tamar gets pregnant they are potentially a laughing well, stock again Tamar's, Tamar's already pregnant yeah yeah well Tamar reveals people, people discover that Tamar is pregnant and this yeah. would have brought basically dishonor and shame on Judah because Tamar is still a part oh, of his family. Poor and so, Judah, getting <laughs> shame. <laughs> I know. So he's like, burn her, which was not an appropriate punishment for adultery. But obviously Tamar had probably anticipated that this was going to happen. Hence why she's got the staff, the signet and the cord. And so she says to Judah, well, before you burn me, just take a look at these. Because it's the person who gave me these who also gave me the child. And then Judah's like, oh boy, she's more righteous mine. than I. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And so she's actually like publicly kind of shamed Judah in a way because Judah's made such a fuss about Tamar being pregnant and Tamar's like, well, look, you're the one who got me pregnant in the first mm. place, which was just completely just terrible because Judah should have given her to Sheila in the first place and also Judah shouldn't have slept with her because she's his daughter-in-law. And that's not right. No, really not right. Yeah. So we have this kind of exclamation from Judah. She's more righteous than I, which is great. She's is vindicated. It... And so then she has twins. Yeah. So then she has twins. And there's a really like interesting story with the twins where one of them comes out first. Well, he doesn't come out. He sticks a hand out and they put the crimson thread around the hand. So they can like, this one came out first. But then the other twin like pushes him out of the way. Well, pulls him back out of the way and then comes out first. What an uncomfortable birth. <laughs> I wouldn't know. A, because it should be the head that comes out first. <laughs> so if it's a yeah. hand poking through, that's really not normal. <laughs> yeah. And the midwives, they're like, what a breach you've made for yourself. So clearly it was quite a like impressive thing. It's probably quite, I don't know, adventurous, which doesn't sound comfortable. 
I don't know. An adventurous birth. Anyway, it's... Think of birth whilst hiking. And then it ends there. Genesis 38 ends there with the birth of the twins. But the story of Tamar doesn't end there because she is brought back in the New Testament, isn't she? Yeah, exactly. Matthew 1, uh, verse 3. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. So she's mentioned by name in the genealogy of Jesus. Mm, which, as we've said, is, you know, unusual because genealogies are through the male line, even yeah. though the Jewish faith is passed down through the female line. Yeah, which I think is interesting. Mm. But the genealogies, biblical genealogies, were male through the male yes. line. Yeah. And, I mean, it's quite a well-known fact, I guess, that uh, there are five women in Jesus' genealogy. Yeah, and I think, I think again, it's, it's really cool that, that Jesus is the one who, A, has women in his genealogy, and B, has, like, five of them, and they're all these, like, really kind of... I think mm. we've already used this word to describe um, Tamar, but very, like, tenacious and um, cunning and just, like... But, but also extremely faithful clever. and committed and, and clever yeah, exactly. women. Yeah, and righteous women, actually. Mm. So, because there, there's Tamar, she's the first one, and then the next one's Rahab. And so Rahab is, she's the, the prostitute yes. who houses Joshua's spies, and Joshua too. And then there is Ruth, who's another widow. Mm -hmm. And then there's Uriah's wife, um, Bathsheba. Yeah. So I think I think and also then Mary. Yeah, something something to take away from this genealogy as well as not only are they faithful and righteous, but they also can be seen as these kind of sexually immoral or sexually ambiguous type of women with Tamar sleeping with her husband uh, father-in-law with um Rahab herself being a prostitute um, I mean, Ruth sleeping There's at the feet of Boaz, who... who is also a widow, and and all the all the way down really to Mary, who is this unmarried girl gets pregnant by God, by by the Holy mm. Spirit. But but really, at the time, would would anyone have believed that? Yeah. Well, a few <laughs> did, but yeah. And this is like the genealogy of the holiest man yeah, ever, the savior Jesus. of the world. Yeah. And it's full of just these really like unholy women by the letter of the law. Yeah, and but and men. Not. And men, yeah, the men. And the thing is that like you look at the kind of the supposed immorality of all of the women in Jesus' mm. genealogy, um, and like so, like, we'll take Tamar for example because we're looking at Tamar. Tamar is she breaks the Torah. She breaks kind of the law of how she should act. She's not. A moral figure and you like the lesson that you learn from Genesis 38 is not sleep with your father-in-law like we're not supposed to learn from Tamar's actions yet Tamar is held up as this example of righteousness mm -hmm. because she subverts and she reverses the even deeper unrighteousness of Judah yeah I think I think it's also really um, interesting that for for a lot of the time in the Old Testament, the reason for this kind of promiscuity within women is 
survival and necessity f- for Tamar. Like she, she's a widow. She's disgraced, but it's the survival of Judah's line mm. that she she is defending and she's protecting. And and um, like Ruth, she she is a widow. Like she needs some sort of security for her and and Naomi and then like even looking outside of Jesus's genealogy with Esther like she is this young Jewish girl living in a Persian court like she gets presented to the king like what what else are you supposed to do you can't tell the king no if he wants to sleep with you and so I think I think there's a real difference between this kind of immorality for necessity and then obviously judah sees this young girl and is like oh yeah fancy Mm. some of that like like it's it's i don't know i think i think there's a different kind of there's there's a kind of ambiguity within the woman's role in it than the man's i think Mm. the man's is just nine times out of ten wrong like david and ambiguity so so even though it's bad and you shouldn't sleep around like it's it's always for a purpose Mm. yeah 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 that's that that's why i would say ambiguity because it is almost necessary but also it's bad Mm. but it's like subverting and correcting even worse behavior Mm. yeah yeah whereas with judah in this story his sexual immorality just got him into a deeper mess because it just yeah. he he was like just incredibly embarrassed by yeah. the end of it. Yeah, I mean, like Judah is just evil. He's just wicked and sinful for completely selfish reasons. Mm. There's nothing. There's nothing righteous about the way that Judah acts, and there's nothing righteous about Tamar's actions themselves. Kind of dressing up as a prostitute to deceive mm. her father and all but her sleeping with motives. her. But her driving motive was one hundred percent righteous and faithful, amazingly so, because how horrendously she's been treated by Judah and Judah's family. But she still acts with this kind of faithful loyalty to bring blessing to that family and to that community, and ultimately to the whole world. Because without Tamar, there'd be no Jesus, mm. and Jesus is like pretty great. I mean, like, thankfully, the situation and our culture has moved on so that actually the role of women is not just to provide male children for their husbands. But the spirit of Tamar is still something that we can replicate and take on for ourselves and kind of embody because she takes initiative for herself Mm. in the face of, like, extreme adversity. Like, as you say, she she doesn't give up. She, She is just courageous and... Uh, she's cunning as well, and she acts faithfully and righteously to bring blessing to her community. But that's the end of Stumbling Through Scripture, the episode for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you listening. We appreciate all of your support. Yeah, a shout out to Carol Catchpole, who listens, but told us that we spend too much of our time laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hope we haven't been as funny this week. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, If you've enjoyed listening to Stumbling Through Scripture, then you can subscribe. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a five-star rating and maybe leave a positive review. If you don't enjoy Stumbling Through Scripture, you can leave a negative review. We'd love to hear some some feedback. 
If you like the podcast, then chances are you might also like the blog. So head on over to stumblingthroughscripture.co.uk and you can sign up to receive each blog post directly into your email inbox, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And so the next time you hear from us will be in our Edinburgh studio. Yeah, with Scottish (laughs) accents. Scottish accents. We'll be saying, stumble with care. (laughs) 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 Okay, we're working on Scottish accents. I'll work on my Scottish accent. Till next time, stumble with care.